songs, sometimes those songs don't necessarily resonate all the time, but, or words, should I say, they, they, don't, they don't have the same impact, but as we were singing, you know, rain came, wind blew, you know, there's a meme that some of you have probably seen, it said, look at the weather being all cute and nice, like it didn't just try to kill us last week. But when we sing those words, the rain came, the wind blew, we got to see the, the power and devastation that there is in those weather events that we sing about, that Jesus gives examples to, right, that the rains came and there was a wise builder and a foolish builder. And it's important for us that we are wise builders, amen? It's important for us that we build according to the plan of God and that we are firmly, firmly built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Can we give God another hand of praise for his goodness, for his mercy and his kindness toward us? At this moment, our kids are going to be dismissed to their classes. You kids are going to come out the front door right here. Um, Well, you know. Someone said when we were planning this, you know, we don't think our kids should be somewhere not seen and not heard. We want our kids to be seen and heard. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. For those of you that are staying with me in the sanctuary, if you would stand again. I know Minister Hector lets you sit for a second and rest. Praise God. But would you open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And listen, we need to, we need to be thankful for, for our, our brothers and sisters, First United Methodist Church, right? They, we're thankful to them for opening their doors. And I've been doing this for a long time. And when, when, when Pastor Brian and Pastor Patina said, hey, man, you guys need a place. Come on over. And, uh, you know, they just, they just wanted to bless us. And then not just that, but, I mean, you see speakers and stuff, and, and you know, they let us do all this and didn't even bat an eye. Grateful for them for having a kingdom mind. Amen. Praise the Lord. So you have 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says this, and we're just going to read a few verses. We're going to actually walk through all 40, but we're only going to read a few for our time that we're standing, beginning in verse 1. It says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. (laughs) Some people are like, all right, Bishop, where are we going? We're going. We're going there today. We, We are. We dismiss the kids. Amen. You may, you may want to rethink if you have a child in the room, they may need to go. But Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a command, for I wish that all men were even as I, I, I am myself, but each one have his, has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in another 
and, 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 and that, but I say to you that the, to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Father, we humble our hearts before the beauty of your word this morning. And Lord, we have a lot of ground to cover, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying as we unpack these truths together, as we walk through the text of Scripture together. Let our hearts, let our minds be edified, and let us gain wisdom from on high as to how we should live on this earth in the context of marriage or in the context of singleness, but let us not mix the two or confuse the two, and let us realize that all of it is for your glory. I pray, God, that you would captivate our minds and hearts in these next few moments, and we pray this all in Jesus' good and strong name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, the ushers have outlines. You can raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure that you get an outline. We want you to be able to follow along. And also on the outline, if you're with us for the first time, there is a QR code there. You can um, scan that QR code. And let us know that you were here. If you have a prayer petition, whether you're new or this is um, your first time, if you have a petition, there is also a QR code there for that. And so be sure to utilize that, and that way we can pray for you. You may have some specific things that you need prayer for, and we want to be there for you to lift you up. And so as you have in your outline there, it says this. It says, the Christian life should be focused upon one thing above all else, and that is to please God in everything we do. In whatever state we find ourselves, as long as we are granted days on this earth. Can you say amen to that? We should pursue one thing above everything else. The vision of Core Faith Church is summed up in a desire to please God. That's what we want to do. That's the reason why we exist in everything that we do. We want to do it for his glory and for his honor. And in this writing of scripture, the apostle Paul is is communicating that, that we should be seeking, whether we are married or whether we are single, we should be seeking to do what? To please God in everything that we do. The, the way that we live, the way that we honor him in, 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 in marriage is, is for one thing, to please him, to honor him. And so what I want to talk about today is a message I've entitled, Married or Not, It's Complicated. Hallelujah. Hmm. Whether you are married, whether you are single, it is complicated, but we've got to follow God's standards in his word. Continuing on in your outline, the apostle Paul here, he transitions, and you see it in verse 1. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. And so what what he's doing is he's saying, hey, you guys wrote to me, you communicated to me, and you asked me some questions. And so this is a sort of Q&A on the subject of marriage. And the Apostle Paul is going to sit here, and he's he's writing to them to answer them their questions. And if there is one thing that I think, church, and this is so important, and I will drive this home throughout this message, is that I think that we must fight to maintain and in some sense restore, it is the biblical view of marriage. We, as the body of Christ, should strive to maintain a biblical view of marriage. For those of us that are married with children, our marriage is supposed to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. Those are some high standards. 
how God loves us and cares for us, how, how we are to submit to Christ. That's what our marriages should reflect to our children, not just to our children, but to our neighbors. Whenever I do premarital counseling, one of the questions that we ask is we ask them because we let them know that your marriage is supposed to be a mirror. It is supposed to be an image of Christ in the church. And we ask our, we ask our couples always, has your relationship in some way already done that? Is there a way that you have already seen where people have communicated that your relationship, even though you're not married yet, but that your relationship is reflecting Christ and that you and your relationship are being image bearers? Because that is what the goal is, that we are image bearers of Christ, that we bear his image in our relationships. And so we are to maintain that. But also, I said restore. Because we have a lot of confusion in our days regarding marriage. And sadly, what we see is not just outside in the world. Remember when I talked a couple of weeks ago when I preached, right? The last time that I preached was like two weeks ago. Um, and when, when I was sharing, I was talking about Paul as he was going through and he was talking about fornication. And he said, listen, I told you not to keep company with such and such and such and such type of people. He said, but I was not talking about those of the world. I was talking about those that call themselves Christians. See, it's, it's important for us to keep in mind that, wait a second, we, we you and I, we have a, a responsibility to one another to walk in holiness, to live for God's glory. And so what I want you to think about this morning is this. The goal in life as we go through this is not marriage, but it is to please God in all that we do. The goal in life is not marriage. See, some of us think, right, and, and some of us grew up, and I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you. I can, I'll be honest. I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't grow up as a guy. I don't know if this is normal for guys. I know that women, you know, uh, uh, sometimes I hear them talk about, they, since they were like a certain age, they were thinking about their wedding day. Some women, not all women, right? But they, they, I, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about like wrestling or something. I don't know. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't like, I can't wait. I, I, I want to decorate this room like this or I want to be on the beach like this. I wasn't thinking about anything like that, right? When I got older and I got saved, I was like, hey, <clears throat> I need to be married. Amen. And I, and, and I wasn't worried about decorations. I mean, I, 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 I was concerned about, you know, anyway, verse, what is it, verse 8 that I read there or verse 9, right? I, I was concerned with honoring God. I didn't want I, I to burn, right? I wanted to honor him in the way that I lived. And so what we have here is we have to realize the goal is not marriage but to please God in all we do. Because we can think if you're a single person in the church listening or you're, you're here in the room and you're single, sometimes people will, will, or sometimes you may feel like, oh man, I'm single, there's something wrong with me. There ain't nothing wrong with you. Amen? There's not, there is nothing wrong with being a single person. I'm not telling you should just stay single if that's not what God has called you to, but there's nothing, there, it's honorable to be a person, and Paul is going to talk about that. He was one of those people. Some, some, some people think that he was married at some point. He may have. Maybe he was a widower. I don't know if that is true. But what we know for sure is in his writings, he makes it clear that he could have taken a wife. He did not. And so we know the Apostle Paul was a single man. He talks here in the text that we're looking at about wishing that everybody was like him. In other words, that everybody had the self-control to be single, to stay in that, in, in that place. Because what? Then you don't have to worry about anything except one thing, to please the Lord. 
I remember there's one brother that I would talk to, and as we would, we would share, he's like, man, he said, I, I wish that I could just go and just, you know, get, get, a, get, get like a trailer that I could just live in. He's like, I would live in my car and just serve God, but I'm married. And he's like, my wife ain't sleeping in my car. Come on now. <laughs> She's not going to let our kids sleep in our car. But, but his heart was that, man, I want to serve God with everything, and I would just not work and try to kill myself to provide for a family. But because he's married, guess what? Now you got to do all that. You can't just act like you're not married, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit here. But again, the goal in life is not marriage, but to please God in all that we do. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, marriage can be. The safe choice, but it's not the easy choice. Marriage can be the safe choice, but it is not the easy choice. It is never the easy choice. Marriage is complicated. Someone that's married said amen. Marriage is not, it's not just this easy breezy, we're walking through the park, we never disagree, we never argue, just everything is wonderful. <laughs> Someone lied to you. I'm saying that they, they, they didn't tell you the truth. They didn't let you know that that person that you get goo-goo-eyed about, come on now, that person that makes your, you know, the butterflies in your stomach rumble, that that, that person at moments you're going to want to lay hands on them. Father, in Jesus' name, liberate this one that I love. Hallelujah. They, 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 they don't let you know that, that God is using that person to help you become more like Jesus. All the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, another translation, long-suffering, come on now, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. If you're not married and you're not around people, you ain't got to be gentle, right? Self-control, I don't have to. But, but when, I, when I'm interacting with other people, especially, see, here's the thing. We can get together like right here in this, in this general area, and, and you could fake gentleness. You could fake self-control. You could fake kindness. You could fake all that stuff real well. But let's sit down. Listen, let's just sit down in a small group like every week for like 12 weeks. And I assure you, we're going to see some things that you didn't want us to see. Now think about marriage. That small group is like one night a week, and it meets for a couple of hours maybe. But marriage is a totally different concept. This is every day of the week. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you are engaged with someone. Come on now. It's not the easy choice. It can be the safe choice, but it's not the easy choice. And notice I said it can be the safe choice. Anyway, anyway. Verses 1 through 2, verses 7 through 9, we read these. The Apostle Paul establishes for us a marriage as a safe choice. Let's look at his words here. He says in verse 1, he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is his first part of counsel. They're asking him about marriage. And the first thing he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, it's good. Don't even touch her. If you're single, it's good. Just stay away. Just don't touch. Right? The problem is, here, here's the problem. He brings the problem up immediately. He says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, wait a second, it's good not to touch, 
But because of this issue of sexual immorality, let's just point this out. Sexual immorality, pornea is the word there in the Greek. That word, it means illicit sexual behavior. It covers fornication, which is sex before marriage. It covers adultery, which is sex outside of your marriage. It covers homosexuality, which is sex between the same sex. It covers bestiality, which is sex with a human and an animal. I'm just talking about this is what that word covers, right? It covers all the bases. It's a general word. Pornea, the word that we get pornography from. And so, and, and so what Paul is saying, because of sexual immorality, because of all of these things, he says what? He goes and he gives a concession. Let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her, her own husband. So he says, listen. Because of, basically what he's saying is, because of the lack of self-control, because of the temptation there is sexually. You didn't, listen, you, you, you got to think about this. This is written a long time ago. This is way before we had television, before we had a sexualized culture. And they were still struggling with the same issues. Why? Because it's not about all of the external things. It's about this right here. This flesh is the issue. And so the Apostle Paul, he's saying, he, he's communicating to them. He said, no, because of sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife. And then he goes down, you look at verses 7 through 9. He says, for I wish that all men were even as I, as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widow, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Again, being single is not a bad thing. Paul is saying if you are, are unmarried and if you're a widow, it's good that you remain as I am. But if you cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. When I looked up these words, because I was like, okay, is there a difference there between the word burn and and passion, it's really the same word. So really he's like, it's better for you to marry than to burn, burn. Hello. It's better for you to marry than to be on fire, to be desiring to be with someone. It is better for you to marry than to be single and sin against the Lord. It is better for you to honor God if you don't have, if you can stay single and you don't have that. And let, let me just pause for a moment and, and I'll talk about this a little bit more. But but what I'm saying is stay single. Like you're like, like you don't really have that need for that intimacy with someone else. Listen, there are some people that are like that. This is what is sad to me. There are, there, there are some people who have gotten married because they feel the pressure that they need to get married. And the truth is, and I'm being 100 with you right now, the truth is they probably should have never gotten married. Because they don't have, and I'm going to get to this next point in a second. I know some of you thought I skipped over. I didn't skip over it. I say the best for last. But some people, they don't have that desire. They don't have that need for intimacy. And then they're in marriage and fighting because one person got married because they knew they needed it. That intimacy. And the other one was like, I'm good without, without that. I don't, I don't need that. I don't have that desire. I, don't, I, don't, I, I get my, my companionship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. If that's you, listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. God wired you differently. He has a purpose for you. He wants you to use all of your life, all of your resources, everything you have to give him glory. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. 
The Apostle Paul establishes marriage as a safe choice. It's to help you against temptation. But it's not necessarily the best choice. For some people, it is not. A goal for the follower of Christ is purity before the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. We are supposed to be pure before the Lord. So we should be walking and desiring to live pure and honestly. But let me tell you two things that Paul deals with implicitly in this text. That I want to I say this because in our day and age, it's very important that we hear this. Number one, he's saying that polygamy is not okay. In that day and age, it was, listen, to, 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 to have a, and, you know, and, and, and the way the creeps would say it, right, to have a side chick, that was like normal. That, 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 that was normal stuff. That's not, but, but, that, but, but Paul is saying, no, wait a second. Let a man have his wife, singular, not wives. Let a wife have a husband, singular. Again, we, we know Paul implicitly is, he's, he's making it clear and explicitly saying, listen, it is, this, this is supposed to be one man, one woman. You know what that also does? That eliminates this idea that somehow marriage is between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. So homosexual marriage for the Christian is wrong. Right? So just like fornication, sex before marriage is wrong, the same way adultery, sex outside of marriage is wrong, the same way homosexuality is wrong. And we as Christians are supposed to hold that standard and, 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 and not allow uh, uh, that, that mindset to be embraced in the church as being okay. Biblical marriage, what, is supposed to bring honor to God between a man and a woman. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her name, due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves a, to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not that does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But again, I, he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. So here's the thing, verses 3 through 6. If you choose marriage, you need to understand the commitment you're making and the challenges you're going to face. You heard what Paul said here? He's, saying, he's letting them know this. Marriage means you are not your own. You now live for the pleasure of another. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to call it a day. We go home on that note, right? Husbands and wives will have a lot to talk about. I, I, as a man, I no longer live for the pleasure of me. I live for the pleasure of her. In this earth, I live for the glory of God. But the moment I said yes in marriage, it's no longer, hey, babe, you're going to do everything I say the way I say it, and that's how it's going to go. That's some, that's, that, that's some chauvinism. That's, that's not a biblical mentality. Of course, men are called to lead the family. Amen? That doesn't mean tyranny. Come on now. But the same thing happened with her. She lives now not for her pleasure, not for herself. She lives for my pleasure. That's what Paul is saying here. Hold on a second. That's a challenge because you know we are by nature selfish. We, we, we know what we want. Come on now. 
If, if we talk about, you know, I, I was talking with Pastor Rod about, you know, the book, one of my favorite marriage books, His Needs, Her Needs, right? If I, if I go to, I know exactly what's on my list of things I need. Come on now. And you know exactly what's on the list of, list of things you need. My question is, do you know what's on his list or her list of needs? Are you, are you as committed to ensuring that their needs are met? Because Paul says that we are supposed to render to one another the due affection, what is due them. And obviously within the context, we have to think about the context of what Paul is saying. It's crystal, it's pretty clear that he is talking about sex. He's talking about coming together sexually. But, but when I look at it, the implication is not just, hey, you know, let's just have sex all day and, you know, do it you know, whenever we want. No, 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 wait a second. There's something else that should be happening, right? And especially, let me talk to my brothers in the room. We may, we, 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 may, we may have certain needs, amen? I'm a man just like every other man in this room. But what I know is this, we just celebrated 25 years, so I think I have a little bit of experience, right? Not, not, not all the experience in the world, but 25 years, I think I got some experience. I can talk about this. My wife's needs are not the same needs as mine. The affection she's looking for, it's not necessarily the affection I'm looking for. Like, she may really just want to hold hands. You know what I'm talking about? She may really just want to cuddle, glory to God. I'm like, I, all of that indicates something else to me. But to her, no, no, babe, we're good. We're good. I, I feel very satisfied right now. I'm like, wait a second. It's like, it's like, it's like you touch the cake and me, to me, right, as a man. I'm just keeping it 100, right? <laughs> but, so, so what needs to happen, right, from, again, I, I got to talk to my married people, the men, right, we need, to, we, need to, we need to minister to our wives based upon the affection they need, not the affection we want. It's tough. It's tough. Because this isn't, because, you know, this scripture here, right, your body's not your own. Can you imagine someone using that text to, to, to badger his his Christian spouse, like, babe, your body's not your own, it's mine. Can, can, can you see that scripture being twisted? Can you see marital abuse happening at the, and, and, and we're going to use the name of the Lord to do it. Listen, if you don't think, if, if we could utilize scripture to justify harsh, disgusting things like slavery, you don't think? Okay. So, so husband, wife, what affection does your spouse need? Wives, listen, ladies, you, 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 you know. I don't, I don't need to tell you, but you know. You know. He, he, he don't want to just hold hands. He don't want to just snuggle. He don't, he, don't, he don't want a little pop kiss. He wants the, the full thing. Come on now. And, and it's your role as his wife to do what? To please him. To love him. To... Not to make him beg, not to make him earn it. Come on now. Because, you know, we play these games, right? Like, well, you know, you've been good. What do you mean I've been good? We, we said I do. Come on now. It's not, it's not about I, I, got, I got an allowance or something. Like, I, you know, no, 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 right? I've told you all about the 72-hour rules, so keep that in mind, right? Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm moving on. I, I, got, I got to go. I got 23 minutes here to get this thing done. And we are in like verse 6. But here's what I want you to understand. If you are selfish, you not only dishonor God and offend your spouse, but understand something. You open the door to the enemy to bring temptation into your home. Are you hearing me? Very few times do you see the Bible actually say the devil, right? We blame Satan for everything, right? But, but here's the thing. There are very few times that the writers of Scripture actually say, be careful that you don't give a foothold to the enemy here. This is one of the moments that you cannot run away from this. You cannot be like, oh, my goodness, I, you know, I don't know, you know, may, maybe. No, 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 no. When you deprive one another except for fasting and prayer, and let me tell you this, this is not saying that, that sexual intimacy is dirty and so you can't really pray and seek the Lord, on, you know, if you're, if, and, and that's, that's why you have to stop. But that's not what Paul is saying. It's pleasurable. And when you fast and pray, what are you doing? You are denying your flesh Pleasure, that's what you're doing. You're causing your flesh to suffer. And so Paul is saying, listen, you're, you're saying no to your flesh and you really want to press into the Lord. And so you're denying yourself the satisfaction. But he says, only do it for a time lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now let, let, let me say this. This is not a justification for adultery. This is not a justification for cheating. This is simply that you know you are opening the door to the enemy when you talk about, well, you earned it. No, no, no. You're opening the door to the enemy. Well, have you been good? No, 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 that's not it. We said I do, so we should. Hallelujah. Some of y'all will get that later on in the car. Uh-huh. Verse 10, let's go to verse 10. He says, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. In other words, she is not to separate from, she is not to divorce her husband but even if she does depart, look at what he says, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Woo-wee. Marriage is not only the safe choice, it is the sacred choice. When I said earlier that we need to not just maintain it, but restore the definition of marriage, this is what I'm talking about. We in the church, we play, and listen, I want you to know, I understand there are people that have gone through things, and there's, there, there's marriages that have, that, that have ended up in divorce, and you may be sitting in here, and that may be you, you may be hearing this message, that may be you, in no way, shape, or form am I trying to be condemning, I'm simply trying to point you to the, to the emphasis that Paul makes in the scriptures, that marriage is not something that you enter into lightly, there are not a bunch of reasons why you can get out of marriage, well, I don't like the way he smells anymore, that's not, that's not enough. You know, she stopped, she stopped taking care of herself. You know, she, no, no, wait, wait a second. That, that's, those are not biblical reasons. I can't stand the way that she talks. That's not a biblical reason. I'm not telling you to, to just be abused. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to look at what the text is saying. Paul is making it clear that marriage is sacred. Just, listen, just as choosing to remain single is a sacred choice, choosing marriage is a sacred choice. It is a sacred choice. And here's why this is so important for us. Because the statistics bear out that we as Christians, we've not done a good job as being stewards over marriage. 
And while we should be appalled at the desecration that our legislatures have made regarding marriage and redefining it, that should bother us to the core of our being. We should be repentant and humble because of our own defamation of marriage. Because when you look at statistics of divorce and you look at the statistics in the world as compared to the statistics in the church, come on now, you're not seeing a difference. You're seeing the same thing. How can it? It should never be. We're called to, listen, this is why we do seven weeks of premarital counseling if any of, if any of our leaders are going to go ahead and marry you. We get all, we, we get all in, your, in, in your business. We ask you questions. We ask you are, you, are you sleeping together? We call you to purity because you should not be sleeping together before marriage. We call you to live holy. Why? Because we believe you curse the foundation of your marriage when you decide you're going to walk in fornication all the way up until the day that you stand before God and say, okay, now I say I do. So we call you to live. We want your marriage to be blessed. We ask you questions about your past. We ask you questions about, do you understand marriage? We have you evaluate where you are. Why do you want to, you want to get married just because everybody else is getting married? You want to get married because you just think you're getting old and you need to do it? Or is this something that you know is God, he's leading you? We, we ask these questions. We walk with you. We, we equip you to understand the different roles in marriage. We help you to understand the purpose, the biblical purpose of, of sex in marriage. We talk to you about how to use money because uh, in the top five reasons why people get divorced is because of money. We want to help you. We, we, we want to restore the sacredness of marriage. We don't want people to come to us and be like, hey, man, you know what? It just didn't work out. You know, you, you prayed for us, you blessed us, and we walked away. And, you know, a year later, two years later, five years later, and listen, it can happen 40 years later. One of the preachers that you guys probably love, if you've heard him ever, ever preach, he's one of the greatest preachers. I, I, I literally was reading one day about how he prepares his sermons and first, I was extremely humbled because I was like, wow, this guy is like, for real, for real. He's not even Pentecostal. Come on now. <laughs> He's like, really about God speaking. After 40 years of committed marriage, they ended up divorced. No adultery. You know what the problem was? She was tired of being alone. He was married to ministry. And this is what Paul warns against. Some people shouldn't get married. Some people shouldn't be. Some people should stay single. But here's the thing. Paul is letting us know there is a sacredness and a seriousness that comes with marriage. We don't, we, we don't, we don't, we don't, think, we don't think that we just make our own decisions when it comes to that. We follow the scriptures on what God says. Amen. I got three amens. It's okay. It's all right. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. And let every word be established by two or three witnesses. I'm good with that. Praise the Lord. Second thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, salvation should shape our view and commitment in marriage. Salvation should shape our view and commitment in marriage. Verses 12 through 24, the Apostle Paul continues writing here about the seriousness of marriage. He says this, he says, but even if she does not depart, I'm sorry, in verse, verse 12, I wrote wrong verse there, but in verse 12, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, and let me just pause real quick, 
Paul is not saying that his words don't have authority. What he's saying is that the Lord Jesus didn't speak on this on what he's talking about right now. So he doesn't have a word directly from the Lord, meaning Jesus didn't speak on this. There isn't this other, uh, he doesn't have any other writings that he's going to, but the Apostle Paul is an inspired apostle, meaning his writings have authority. And when he writes, we take his words as God's words. So don't read this and be like, oh, well, this really doesn't, doesn't apply. No, no, this is what he, the Lord is inspiring him to communicate. He says this. He says, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if, she, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. So let's pause for a moment because this helps us understand the context of what Paul is saying. So in the questions that they have, this is what it is. There are people who are in Corinth who were not believers. They were a pagan culture. Paul comes there, he spends a long time with them, people get saved, and all of a sudden you have families that are divided. Because one spouse responds positively to the Lord and says, I want to follow Jesus, and the other spouse is like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not with that Jesus stuff. And so they're thinking, well, wait a second, if we're called to be pure and we're called to be holy, then if I stay married to the unbeliever, doesn't that make me unholy? That's their question. And Paul is writing to them saying, listen, if you are together with an unbeliever, if you are together with someone and they want to stay with you as a Christian, they're willing to let you serve the Lord and, 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 they, and they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't want to leave, guess what? You stay with them. They're, they're not making, as a matter of fact, look, look, look at his response. I love, I love Paul's words to them. He said, and, and, and he goes on, he says, in a woman, in verse, I mean, verse 14, he says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What Paul is giving us to understand here is that there is a greater power to us being saved in our homes than we even realize. You, you, you know what is one, one, one of my greatest issues with some of my super holy Christian friends? Is they act as if the spirit of God who is in them is not greater than anything else that is going on in this world. As though they got to hide in a, in, a, you know, in, a, in a cocoon somewhere so they don't get contaminated because, man, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm holy and I, and I got to be separated. Wait a second, wait a second. Do you know the one who lives in you? See, I know, I know this much. I know, I know, how, I know how, Jesus, how Jesus, I almost said Jesus, I know how Jesus, because of the next word, how he yanked me out of sin. I, 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 it wasn't like a, a little like, hey, you know, come on, come on. I love you, Jason. Come walk with me. No, no, no. It was like, you are mine. Get over here. Right? You know, you know when, 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 my kids, when my kids are small, right, I can't do this now with either of them, but when they're small and they crawl, I love to grab them by their onesie and, like, pick them up and, like, move them, right? Like, I don't drop them. It's just fun, right? They, you know, they're like, you, you, it's, anyway, whatever. I'm sorry. It's child abuse. I, I, 
Call DCF. You know, it's, it's old school. And anyway, and it's, it's done. But that's how the Lord yanked me up. It, it wasn't like I had this ability. My point is, man, I know what the power of God is. I know what, I know what it is to encounter the Almighty who changed my life's direction. He yanked me out of sin. He filled me with his spirit. He sealed me with his spirit until the day of redemption. And if the one who yanked me out of sin could pull me out of the muck and the mire like that, how much more do I not believe that he can keep me in holiness and righteousness? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, husband, wife, you need to know your spouse is actually protected because of your holiness. Not your holiness because you're so great, but because your sanctification in the Lord. Because you've been set apart. Guess what? It doesn't mean they're saved. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying there is some protection. There is something. As a matter of fact, your children, they're holy. Parents, 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 please. You see these words? These are, these are, these, these, these are what should be known as covenant words. These are covenant words. Our children are holy. When you pray for your children, you should not be praying from from a place of, Lord, I hope they know you one day. You should be praying from a place, Lord, I am yours. That means they're yours. Father, I pray that they would encounter you as the God who loves them, that they would know you as the covenant-keeping and making God, that they would experience you. That's, That's how we should be praying for them. We should, when, when, when our kids start walking and they, and, and they start veering off track, oh, hold on a second. You need to be in a place where you're like, God, these are your kids. You said they were holy. You said that because they, they were mine, they're yours. That's how we pray for our kids. See, it gives us a different perspective of who God is. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us to understand this. Coming to faith is a call to holiness and sanctification, yet that doesn't mean we should, we should fear defilement from an unsafe spouse. On the contrary, we need to know the power of the one who is in us and his ability to keep us and save others through us, especially those within our household. Old Testament, one by the name of Rahab. You know the story, the the spies are coming in there, they're they're, they're spying out the land, Jericho, and they're like, okay, this is what's up, we're going to come take this place. Rahab, she gets word that this is happening, and what does she do? She makes a covenant agreement with these guys, and she's like, I'm going to protect you, but remember my family. Remember my family. And what happens? Her family is spared from the destruction that's coming. This is a picture of this. This is an Old Testament picture of someone who was set apart, and because of her being set apart, guess what? Now her family experiences some kind of protection. Write write down these scriptures. I don't have time to turn to them. Acts chapter 16, verse 29 to 34 is, 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 has always been a peculiar passage of scripture for me. Because when, when, when Paul and Silas are in prison, the prison is shaken, the doors are open, and that's all exciting and wonderful. The guard on the outside is about to kill himself, and they yell out to him, hey, we're all here, come back in. And when, they, when, when the guard comes in there, he falls on his knees before them. And this is what messes me up. All that other stuff, I get it. It's just supernatural. It's powerful. And I'm like, yes, God, do it again. But when this guy runs in there, he does not say to, the, to, to, to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved, right? Well, that's what he says. I'm sorry. He says, what must I do to be saved? How does Paul respond? Paul doesn't say, hey, man, say this prayer, and then I'm going to baptize you, and you're going to be saved. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, be baptized. You and what? Your household will be saved. 
But then you, read, you keep reading, right? And they go, they, he takes Paul and Silas to the house, cleans them up, feeds them, and guess what? The whole house believes on Jesus Christ. They're all baptized. This is powerful. I don't, I don't get, I'm like, God, how, how is this? This is, this is Paul's mentality. It's because we have, and I've said this before, we have this mentality of salvation that it's just about me and God. But wait a second, it's bigger than that. God doesn't want to save me. He wants to save my whole family. He wants to save my, that's how I see the text. That's, that's the place we should be praying from. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Again, you can write this down, especially for you wives that, are, that, are, that, that may be married to a man who is not saved and you're, and you're struggling with this. Well, here, Paul, um, Peter gives them, a, gives them an, an idea, tells them to live a godly life that they may be won over. So the apostle Paul is simply confirming all of these texts that we've read he goes on to continue, and I want to keep reading through here because our time is running, but he continues on. He says, for, he says, but in verse 15, he says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. And so I just talked about a moment ago how serious and sacred marriage is. Here's the thing. If you are married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever says, listen, I am not going to be with you anymore. I do not want to be married to you anymore because I'm not going to follow Jesus. I don't want anything to do with him, and I don't want anything to do with you. He says, you're not bound in that situation. You're free. That's what Paul says, not me. This is Paul's words. He says, but God calls us to peace. That should be our goal, right? Our goal should always be peace. Verse 16, let me pause. I think when he says that, that we should seek peace, it's easy to say, man, I don't want that unbeliever because they're a pain. They hinder my walk. They grieve my spirit. It's easy to say that. It's, and, and, and think that this is somehow you can twist this and be like, well, you know what? They're not believers anyway. So I'm not about to no, know. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, if they leave, not you leave. And my reason for leaving is because they're an unbeliever. Wait a second. He told you to stay with them if they want to stay with you. That's what he said. We should seek peace. That's what, he, that, that's what he communicates to us. He says in verse 16 here, it says, for how do you know? I love this. Oh, wife. Whether you will save your husband, not that you will save them personally, but that God would use you to bring salvation. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6 would show you that. Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't know what's going to happen, so you continue on to pursue peace, to be that godly person. Verse 17, he goes on, he says this, he says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain it in all the churches." Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him, be, let, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while, while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. You hear those words? Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Whether you, whether you called, were you called while a slave, do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So to drive home the point that he just made about marriage and its sacredness, he uses two uh, a, a parallel examples, circumcision and slavery. 
He says, listen, in whatever state you were in when you came to faith, don't, don't worry about changing your state. Again, the question is, if I come to Christ, my spouse is not a believer, should I remain in Christ? Or if I come to Christ and I'm not married, should I marry? Right? He's asking, <clears throat> he's answering these questions for them. And Paul is like, listen, whatever state you find yourself in, when you come to faith, live there and be close to God. That's what he's saying. Live in that state and be close to God. Whatever it is, bring glory and honor to God. The third thing I'll ask you to say, repeat after me is this. Say, single or married, people must be all in for the kingdom. So whether you are single, whether you are married, Paul's concession in all of this is that you should be all in for the kingdom. Let's read his words, and we'll wrap up. Verse 25. He says, now concerning virgins, those who are unmarried, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord is in his mercy has made trustworthy. Again, he's saying Jesus didn't speak on this. I don't have a direct word from him. The apostles that, that I've sat with, they've not given me any teaching. Remember, the apostles taught everything that Jesus taught to their disciples. So he has no teaching on this, but he's giving the wisdom that God has given him. And these are commandments that we stand on. He says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Again, there's confusion about, what, well, man, if I, if I get married, am I sinning? And he's saying, no, you're not sinning if you get married. You're not sinning if you stay single. The whole thing is we want to honor God. So he's trying to clarify for them these things. He says, but this I say, brethren, look at this. The time is short. So that from now on, even those <clears throat> who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not, as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married carries about the things, cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. So he says, listen, in marriage, there's a struggle. If you're single, guess what? You don't have to worry about coming home at any time. You don't have to worry about calling someone and telling them where you're at. You don't have to worry about um, connecting and agreeing on decisions that have to do with family or finance or anything. You can just say, hey, man, I'm giving all of my life to the Lord. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm going to serve him I want to serve. You don't have to, you know, you're at, you're at church. Last night we were here until like 11 and change, uh, you know, trying to prepare and get all of this stuff ready so we could worship today. As a single guy, that wouldn't have been a thing, but I'm not a single guy. So I had my son here, my daughter here. My son is crying at like 10 o'clock because he's like, I want to go home, even though he wanted to stay earlier, right? He was like, yeah, I want to stay until he got bored. Typical, right? So we got to figure things out, right? I have, I have my wife. I'm thinking while I'm here, literally, I'm thinking about my wife at home. I'm thinking about things, right? Because what? Because I'm not a single man. The same thing happens with us as we're looking. Okay, I, 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 I want to be sure that I'm honoring God. But what he does make clear, and I, and I want to say this because he says 
that you should act like you're not married because of the closeness of the Lord's coming. Don't, don't take that as an excuse to, like, neglect your, your spouse. Well, what Bishop said in Paul, you know, Paul, Paul said, the time is near. And we know, you all know the time is near, right? We're living in a serious moment. But what we should do, right, is we should be sure that we are living for the glory of God. That's, that's what he's saying. He's not saying, he's saying, listen, you need to sense the urgency of the moment. You need to sense, like, the reality that there are things, there are things that God wants us to do. And, and, and if we're only concerned with the things of this world, we're going to miss them. That's what, Paul is t- that's what I believe Paul is communicating to us here. He goes on and says in verse 32, he say, I'm sorry, verse 33, he says, But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried man carry, carries, cares about the things of the Lord that she, that, or the one unmarried woman, I'm sorry, cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she, is, but she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. That's the goal. And here's what I think we should do as families. We as families, as families, let me say it again, as families, we should, as families, be committed to serving the Lord together. There are some of us. Because of our selfishness, because of our way of thinking, we get in the way of our families serving the Lord. Not, 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 just, not, not just our spouse serving the Lord. No, God didn't call. If you are married in this place, you are called as a family unit to serve the Lord. It's not just for pastor's families. Come on now. Let's dig in a little bit. Because we all know the pastor's families have to serve, right? We all know the pastor's families have to sacrifice. We all know that the pastor's family, but, but I'm not a pastor. I'm just, I'm just a church member. No, no, you have the wrong mindset. You are a disciple of Jesus. You were bought at a price is what Paul said. You were purchased with holy blood. Jesus died to reconcile you to himself, not just to make you feel good about your presence standing with him, but so you could live on mission with him. That's what he's called us to do. So as families, we should be desirous and wanting to serve the Lord together. Verse 36, but if a man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands fast, stands steadfast in his heart, with, with having, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. This seems to be instructions to dads who have daughters. You know, in, in our day and age, it's so different, right? Because in those times, like parents were majorly involved in the decision process of their children marrying, right? You didn't just bring somebody home one day and say, hey, I'm going to marry this. No, no, no. That's not how that happened. All those movies that you see that are, that are, that are in those old times where, you know, a woman or a man fell in love with somebody else, they, that was not their betrothed or whatever the case is. Listen, that, that stuff is real. This is, and so Paul is addressing this here, and he's simply, he's simply telling him, hey, man, you know, what, whatever, whatever, whatever the situation is, if you have this virgin daughter and she's cool being, staying single, and you're good. She doesn't have to get married. 
But if you feel the other way, you, then, then you should motivate that as well. So nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no, no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, but she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. So just give me, I'm just going to give you a couple of takeaways here. Paul is, Paul is not saying marriage is bad. Let's just be clear. Amen? He's not saying marriage is bad. But he's also saying singleness isn't bad either. They both can be sacred. They both can be used of God for God's glory. He gives you another, another reason here. The only reason this isn't a reason for divorce. This is a reason for remarriage. Your spouse dies, you said, until death do you part. That's what we said. So that moment, and Paul is like, but, you know, you're probably going to be happy you're single. That, that's his concession. That's what he believes from the life that he lives. In marriage or in singleness, there is safety and temptation to sin. This is a takeaway that I want you to have. When we put pleasing God above our own pleasure, we will live honorably and bring glory to God no matter our marital status. So if I say... God, I want to please you in everything that I do. If I'm a single man, if I'm a single woman, if I'm an unmarried man, unmarried woman, right, then, then I'm going to please you in everything that I do. I'm going to live in a way that's honorable to God. And the same thing is true, right, if, if, if I live the other way, if I live in a way that is not honorable to God, if I live in a way that does not bring glory to God, they're telling me it's time for me to go. They're like, we got to get out of here. But the truth is this, is that we have to live again for God's pleasure, for God's glory. Verse 39 to verse 40 makes it clear again. Marriage, it's, it's a reiteration. Marriage is a lifelong covenant that must be understood and entered into with that level of seriousness and commitment. When you and I say I do, when you say I do, you better mean I do because that will be tested. It's all cute when you're in the white dress and the tuxedo and, you know, you're looking Google eyes at each other and you don't even remember anything the preacher said because nobody, nobody really remembers what the preacher was saying. They're, you know, maybe they're crying. I've, I've done so many weddings. I'm like, I can assure you they're repeating what I'm saying just on autopilot. They're not, like, processing these words because they wouldn't be giggling if they were processing these words. <laughs> They'd be thinking, man, there's a day that death could part us, and I'm making a commitment to this person until their last breath. I don't, I, you're not going to giggle about that. That's going to bring, bring, bring a heaviness to your heart. I'm going to love them in sickness and in health. This, this person that is strong, this person that, you know, we, we, we have so many plans with, one day could be sick and not be able to do all the things that we planned and thought. You're not giggling about that. 
and richer or poorer? Come on now. You ain't giggling about that. <laughs> we could be broke one day living in a tent somewhere. Like, serious. You might be like, listen, I'm out. <laughs> but when you are really thinking about those commitments, man, it is a lifelong commitment. And so we need to enter into that with seriousness. So here's my, here's my closing question for you. I'm only eight minutes over today. I did good. Praise the Lord. Are you honoring the Lord where you are? Are you honoring the Lord where you are? Are you honoring him as a married, as a married person, as, a, as, as an unmarried person? Are you honoring the Lord? Are there areas within your marriage that you need to be like, God, I need to repent before you. Spouse, I need to apologize to you because I've not been honoring to God and I've not been honoring to you. Maybe you're an unmarried person in this room and you're not living like you should live and honoring God and you need to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for not living to your glory. See, the beauty of the gospel is this. As we get ready to partake of communion, we always talk about this being a gospel picture. The beauty of the gospel is that if you're in here and you feel the weight of your sin and you feel the weight of the fact that I have not been honoring God, God doesn't give you a pass. He gives you a path. He doesn't say, oh, you just keep living how you want to live. No, he gives you a path to reconcile with him and to reconcile with someone on this earth and do things the way that he wants. He gives you the path of repentance. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the cross. That is the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ. And so if you feel that way in this moment, know that there is a Savior who has made a path for you to enter into his presence so you can be forgiven, but so you can be empowered to live for his honor and for his glory. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so, so grateful to you for the abundance of your love, for the abundance of your mercy that you show us, God. We realize, Lord, that we are so un unworthy. But your mercy, your mercy endures forever. And so, Lord, I humble my heart before you in this moment. And I pray for my brothers, my sisters that are in this room, that are online. I pray for them, God, that you would make your grace known to them in this moment. I know, Lord God, as we preach the text like this, it's a lot of text. It's a lot of ground to cover. But there's conviction that comes upon hearts. And I pray, Lord God, that that healthy conviction would bring repentance, would bring reconciliation in relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that there would be healing in marriages. I pray, God, that there would be repentance before you and that there would be a commitment to holiness unto you as single young men and young women. Father, I pray that your grace would grip our hearts in a great way. I pray for those that are walking under condemnation in this moment and see no hope. I pray that their eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel, that there is hope in you and in you alone. We thank you so much for this, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Can you give God a hand of praise? He's worthy. <clears throat>